Let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We are, yeah, right there. All right. We are talking about um, the offices of the church. We spent the last couple of weeks talking about the office of pastor uh, and what the Bible has to say about pastors and their role and uh, their qualifications. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about uh, deacons. Remember, we saw... Um, that at the beginning of the book of Philippians, in the very first verse of that letter, um, Paul says that it's to, the, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, mentioning both the pastors and the deacons. Um, we see in uh, 1 Timothy 3 the qualifications both for pastors and for deacons. Um, and... There's really not much else about deacons in the New Testament specifically. Um, <clears throat> one other place, though, that does seem to teach us about deacons, even though it doesn't use the word deacon, is Acts chapter 6, um, verses 1 to 7. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. This is um, the story of how the first deacons were chosen and why they were chosen and what their job was um, and uh, what kind of men they appointed to that uh, office. So let me read for us these seven verses of Acts 6. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So, um, <clears throat> One of the things that this passage teaches us is that the office of deacon was created out of a particular need. So this is early in the days of the church. The church is still um, centered in Jerusalem at this point. And um, more and more people are responding to the gospel. More and more people are are getting saved. And so it says in verse 1 that that the disciples were increasing in numbers. So um, anytime a church is growing, it's going to have growing pains, right? Just like any other organization, any other uh, family, anything that grows that has people in it, right? When it grows, there are adjustments that have to be made, hardships you have to go through. And so as the church is growing... One of the growing pains that they experience is um, this complaint that comes up um, made by the Hellenists, those are the Greek-speaking Jews, against the Hebrews, those are the Hebrew-speaking Jews or Aramaic-speaking Jews, because, it says, their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, meaning 
uh, as the widows were cared for by the church, the Greek-speaking Jews felt like their widows were not getting the same attention as the Hebrew-speaking Jews, right? So this was um, had to do with you know language and culture differences, um, and had to do with a very practical matter in the church, right? And an important one of taking care of the widows. Remember, there's no Social Security, no Medicare. So if you're a widow, you don't have a husband. Um, there are not a whole lot of ways that you can provide for yourself, and so you need family and friends who will take care of you, and that's one of the things that the church was doing. But there was this complaint that it wasn't being done well. And that word at the end of verse 1, distribution, that's one of three times in this passage that uh, we come upon some version of the word diakonia, which means service, right? And that's where we get the word deacon. That's A deacon is a servant. That's just the definition of the word at its most basic. Um, so even though in our English translations we don't see the word deacon in this passage, over and over it talks about deaconing, as somebody said, right? Deacon service. Um, so they were their widows were being neglected in the daily service, the daily uh, distribution of food. <clears throat> so what do they do? Verse 2, the 12, that's the... Uh, apostles, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, so the whole church got together for a business meeting, and they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So the apostles looked at the situation, and they said, you know, if we try to fix this ourselves, we're not going to be able to teach and preach like we're supposed to. We, we can't do all the things, right? So we're going to have to create some sort of division of labor, right? We're going to have to have different people with different jobs uh, because we just, you can't do it all, right? So they said it would not be right, as important as feeding the widows is, it would not be right for us to do that instead of preaching, right? So uh, we've got to do something else. Um, and there again at the end of verse 2 when it says uh, serve tables, that's the word diakonia, right? Or diakoneo, um, to, to serve, to, to uh, wait tables. So uh, again, it's a, it's a service thing, right? So they, uh, they say, we, we can't do that. So verse 3, therefore, <clears throat> brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So we need to set aside some particular guys whose job it is to make sure that these widows are taken care of. Now, uh, it does not take a whole lot of skill, right, to run a food bank, right, to distribute food. That's not a, a terribly difficult job. So you would think anybody could do that, right? But that's not what they say. They say... We want men of good reputation. We want men who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Men who, in other words, their lives are characterized by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Mature, godly men. right? Uh, Full of the Spirit and of wisdom. So, even though just like getting the food to the people is not terribly hard, this ministry is more than just getting the food to the widows. Right? This ministry is caring for some of the most vulnerable people in the church, 
which is an extremely high priority, not only for the church, but for God, right? God cares very much about how children, especially orphans and widows, are treated. And so they take this very, very seriously. They want only the best men doing this job, right? Men of good reputation, men who are filled with the Spirit, men who are wise, right? Um, And another thing, another reason why they want to import... uh, want to appoint only uh, godly men is because they are not just assigning a job uh, to these men. They are creating a position, an office in the church that is meant to protect the unity of the church, which is another thing that is extremely important to the Lord, right? If we you read through the New Testament, especially Paul's letters, um, over and over and over, right, we see this emphasis on the unity of the church. And so if you appoint just anybody to take on this responsibility of caring for the widows, um, you might not fix the problem, you might multiply the problems, right? Because then the problem might be not only are our widows not being uh, taken care of as well as this other group's widows, but you know the guy who came by with the food the other day, he was rude and he was sloppy and he was care, you know, and he, you know, and so now our widows are offended, and not only are they not being taken care of, they're not being treated well, and all these kind of things, and then <clears throat> you have the potential to just increase the division and hostility and conflict inside the church. So because this is an issue so central to the health. Uh, of the church and to the care of uh, some of the most vulnerable people in the church, they say, we want the best guys. We want guys with good reputations. We want guys who are godly and mature. We want people who are wise, who will know how to do this well and will um, take care of these ladies in our church uh, in such a way that not only will they be blessed, but that this conflict will melt away uh, and the unity of our church will be restored. And that, uh, that can't happen with just anybody at the helm of a ministry like this. It's like you need to be called to a position as opposed to it's a job. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You yeah. burn out if it's a job. Yes. If you're called to do it. Right. You know, there's the blessings that come with it. That's right. That's right. When the church says... You know, we are designating you to take on this ministry that we believe God has equipped you to do. That has a totally different feel than, hey, if we give you 25 bucks a week, will you do this thing for us? You know, will you deliver these groceries? Well, yeah, you know, and I might do it as well as, you know, I threw my paper out. You know, and not, not me, but I'm saying like, you know, some guy like, yeah, sometimes I hit the right house and sometimes I don't. And, you know, whatever. Um, you don't want that. You don't want this kind of thing handled that way. You want it. That, you're exactly right. Um, so, so that's how they <clears throat> set this up. Uh, these are the kind of men that we want. And then they say in verse four, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So, uh, when these men devote themselves to taking care of this important issue, then that frees us up to focus on these other important issues that we are called to do, and that way both of these things 
uh, the ministry of the word and prayer on the one hand, and the unity of the church uh, being protected through caring for all the widows uh, appropriately. Both of those things, which are both vital to the health of the church, both of them will get done right, by the people who have been called to do uh, those things. And it doesn't mean, right, we don't want to read over... Uh, interpret verse 4. This does not mean that the apostles would never serve tables, and it does not mean that the deacons would never preach. In fact, we find uh, in uh, not the next chapter, but chapter 8, one of the first deacons, Philip, I mean, he just, he goes out and starts preaching to people and is winning people to the Lord. And he, I mean, he's an evangelist and preacher. So it's not a, a, um, Yeah, thank you. That's the phrase I'm looking for. It is not mutually exclusive. It's not you either do one or the other. But this is is true for all of us in in various spheres of our life. You have, like at your job, you have a certain set of things that you're responsible for, and your coworker has something that they're responsible for, and you're not responsible for his stuff, and he's not responsible for yours. But every once in a while, you help him out with his stuff, and he helps you out with yours. Or at home, you know, you have kind of like your spheres. The husband does this, and the wife does this, but you have some overlap where you help each other out, you know. And so it's it's the same kind of way. It's not that, yes. Yeah, oh, I'm so glad you said that. I totally skipped over Stephen. I jumped to Philip in chapter 8, but in chapter 7, you're right. It's Stephen, who's another one of the deacons, who preaches this incredible sermon uh, that, unfortunately, people were so offended by, they stoned him and, and killed him. But it was, a, it was a powerful sermon that Stephen preached. Yeah, so you got two examples uh, of these deacons who... Um, they weren't, they weren't slouches when it came to understanding and teaching the Bible. Right? It's not like, well, the apostles, they're the only ones who can teach and preach and study, and the deacons, all they do is you know, wait tables all the time. No, it's, there, there is overlap, right? Um, so uh, it's important not to press that too hard, too far, um, but also it is important to have those distinctions. We all know that um, houses... Uh, uh, you know, workplaces, churches, all of them work better when everybody knows what their role is and when everybody's willing to cross over their role a little bit and help out when they need to, right? Um, So um, verse 5 says, what they said pleased the whole gathering. So it's like, you know, in Baptist speak, they got a unanimous vote of approval right, from the congregation. Uh, well, they said, please, the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and so on. Uh, these men that they list, <coughs> Stephen and Philip are the most notable. They're the ones, like we just mentioned, that go out and, and preach that we're told about. I mean, the other ones may have as well, but those are the two that we get some of their stories in the next couple of chapters of Acts. And then verse 6 says, These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. That's a way of um, officially recognizing um, that, they, that they are being appointed to this ministry. And recognizing that though this is a very practical uh, form of ministry, distributing food to these widows, it is still a spiritual task. Right? It is, uh, this is not driving a grocery truck 
right? This is, this is a spiritual task uh, that they've been appointed to. That's why they pray for them. That's why they need to be uh, men full of faith and of the Holy Spirit um, because they are carrying out a spiritual duty on behalf of the whole body of Christ, um, on behalf of the whole church, that they are serving uh, these ladies and not just serving them, but serving the whole church in their stead, right? In, in one sense, it's a little bit like um, how we... Um, in Southern Baptist churches, how we um, think about missionaries, right? We know that not all of us can be missionaries, um, but through the cooperative program, right? When we give to our church, our church gives to the cooperative program, and some of the money in the cooperative program goes to missionaries, both abroad and locally uh, in Texas and in North America, and they are our representatives, right? They are preaching the gospel not just in the name of Jesus, but also on our behalf, um, that they are going places that we can't go, um, and but they're serving us, they're serving our churches as they do that. Um, in the same way, these deacons, uh, these first deacons in the church in Jerusalem, they are serving the whole body of Christ as they serve these ladies, because nobody in the church can do all of this by themselves. And and if um, if you told everybody to do it, then nobody would do it. That's Apparently, the way it was happening before the deacons got assigned this job, right, is that it was kind of a general responsibility and it wasn't being done well, right? People were getting overlooked and left out. When they did that, uh, verse 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, this might be... um, Overreading this a little bit, but I, I don't think it is. I remember um, in um, in seminary in a preaching class that I was in, we um, were given texts throughout the Book of Acts um, to preach on in class in front of other students and be evaluated. And you can imagine how fun that was, right? Intimidating and uh, challenging. Most of us had hardly ever preached before in our lives. But I remember one of the guys in the class, um, this was his text. This was his passage. And one of the things that he pointed out that I had not ever noticed before is that at the beginning, the church is growing. And at the end, the church is growing. But in the middle, the church is in turmoil. The church is in conflict. And what he argued, and I think he's right. Again, you might could say this is over-interpreting it a little bit, but, uh, but I don't think so. What he argued was that that conflict needed to be resolved in order for the church to grow. And probably if you've ever been in a church in conflict, you would say, yes, I know by experience, right, that it is very difficult for a church to grow when the people in the church are at odds with each other, when something's out of sync, when something's not right, because the people who come through the doors uh, to visit and, and whatnot, they feel it, they can sense that, and they don't really want to get in the middle of a fight that they didn't help start, you know, or a conflict that they don't have anything to do with. Um, and when you've got a conflict in your midst, it's very hard to... Um, be thinking about reaching other people, right? Because all of your energy is focused on this problem right in here. So um, in a very real sense, then, um, appointing these deacons, right, to care for this uh, uh, 
do this ministry in the church not only um, promoted and protected the unity of the church, but also helped enable the church to grow, helped enable the gospel to advance because by protecting and preserving the unity of the church, they put the church in a position where it could grow and where it could expand and where the gospel could uh, continue to go out and people continue to hear it and be saved. So, um, that's a, I mean, that's a powerful testimony to the importance of the office of deacons um, there in just those few verses. And then uh, we'll, we'll stop there, and next time uh, we will look at the qualifications for deacons, just like we looked at the qualifications uh, for pastors.